0: And welcome back to The Sporting Post. This week, it's just Mitch and I today, but can't think of any better people to break down the current AFL climate. So today's episode, we're covering everything you need to know about round 23 that just passed, as well as an exciting week of finals ahead. But Mitch, before we do, I wanted to get into a rundown um, of what's just happened about an hour ago, actually. Um, Taylor Walker has just broken his silence for the first time since his infamous apology video. Um, Did you want to run us through that a little bit?
1: Yeah. um, Well, obviously good to be back for another week of the Sporting Post. Um, Yeah, our episode only came out quite recently, actually, our discussion of um, Tex Walker. So if you haven't listened to that, uh, please do go check it out. But uh, since that video came out, since that was recorded and since it was actually posted, he has actually broken his silence and made like a public statement for the first time since that initial apology video. And essentially what he said was that the speculation that was kind of uh, circulating around whether or not he was going to play next year was taking away from the real discussion that should be taking place, which is the pain that his actions have caused to the Indigenous community of Australia, which I think is the correct thing for him to say. I think that that taking the focus off of himself and onto or, or off of Tex Walker's future and onto the pain that he's caused is the right thing to do. And just a quote from him directly, to me at the moment, playing is not my priority. It's repairing relationships with the people that I've hurt is my main priority. It was his comment to reporters today. And he did actually also confirm that he initially denied the comment, that making the comment when the investigation first started and said that he panicked and was scared. That's a That's a direct quote. And finally, he said that his four Indigenous teammates at Adelaide have accepted personal apologies from him. So Kat, what do you you make of all this? What are you thinking after this kind of statement's been made?
0: Yeah, um, I think firstly, it's probably what should have been done in the first place.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Again, we covered it last week, so definitely check out our recent episode. But just to kind of summarise what we discussed last week, we agreed that it was probably a bit staged a bit cruel to Robbie Young to look to him for forgiveness and public support in a time of pain and embarrassment. So, yeah, I believe it is a step in the right direction by redirecting the media from his contract speculation back to the issue at hand, which was racist comments and racial slur that are completely unacceptable. Yeah. I do think it was interesting he initially denied it I think it was quite childish to be honest and it poses questions of was he really sorry or does he sorry that he got caught
1: yeah it is a good question
0: yeah again it is a step in the right direction and not everyone's perfect but yeah it definitely was the right thing to do after the last week's apology video
1: yeah I guess in terms of his you know statement about initially denying it. I think it is brave for him to come out and actually say that he did initially deny it. Absolutely. And I also think that if if, if you or I were in that position, you know, like, and you've been confronted with these allegations, your natural impulse is to deny it. So I think that that specific thing, you know, I think we should give him a bit of lenience on that. But obviously the rest of it, he's been right, he's right to have been contrite and to have come out and apologized. And yeah, I think, again, the discussion needs to, stay off kind of his playing future, because I think that that sends the message that what ultimately matters to us is footy Mm -hmm. and sport. And I think that's not the issue at hand at the moment. It is the treatment, our treatment of the indigenous people in our community. And I think that that's the discussion that needs to really be had rather than, you know, is Tex Walker going to be an Adelaide Crow next year? I don't think that's really a discussion that needs to be happening right at this moment.
0: Agree, completely agree there. I also think if it was any other person in a normal job, an office job, you'd be let go. You'd be fired.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
0: So for it to be on such a large stage, I think there definitely has to be a strong stance taken against it, especially after what's happened with Adam Goods and the AFL admitting that they handled it wrong. Well, this is your chance to take the steps in the future to correct. What we've done,
1: yeah, and look, we'll—I uh, guess—we'll probably leave that there. We obviously we've had a we've had a pretty in-depth discussion about it yeah. in previous episodes, but we did want to just keep you guys, um, our loyal listeners, up to date with that entire story, and you know, give you guys our thoughts on it. But there has been another big story about someone else's future in the AFL. So, Kat, did you want to take us through uh, the Carlton slash David Teague saga and where we're at with that?
0: Yeah. So. As of today, after a very drawn-out investigation and decision-making process, leaving a lot of people in the dark, members, staff, players, um, David Teague has officially departed Carlton after his two-year tenure as the head coach. So an email was sent out to Carlton members. Firstly, that's where journalists have kind of sourced this. President Luke Sayers says, that the investigation identified that there has been, and I quote, confusion associated with the game plan at times and on field the team has underdelivered delivered in its ability to consistently defend, win the contest and apply pressure. Mm-hmm. So definitely things have been discussed in the media, criticisms of Carlton's game, but I think it was interesting that he highlighted there was confusion. So there's obviously... Through the review, it's exposed a lack of communication between the players and the coaches. So it is interesting to see that. In my opinion, definitely interesting timing with Clarko officially pulling out of the coaching yeah. uh, race. So I'm not sure if Ross Lyon comes in there. But, yeah, I probably am not, as a Carlton fan, I'm not the biggest supporter of letting Teague go in a time like this.
1: Yeah, but I think after, you know, Teague's um agent had gone on the air and kind of roasted <laughs> Carlton for their for their handling of this whole thing. Yeah. And also got on Ross Lyons' case for kind of voicing his intent on pursuing the Carlton job when Teague was still technically the coach of Carlton at that time. Yeah. I think it would have been difficult for them to keep Tiggy around after all that and Tigi had kind of said publicly that he didn't think it was a very professional investigation when everyone knew about it taking place mm-hmm. which is fair comment I think and look I think there were some issues this year at Carlton absolutely I think yeah. you know footy the footy uh footy classified I think it was was breaking them down you know really getting into it talking about you know what the issues their on-field issues and I think ultimately I think the right thing to do was to let him go. I just think that the way it was handled, you know, the public, the very public almost humiliation of David Teague was kind of unprofessional. And I think that they definitely could have gone about it in a, in a much more professional way. Like mo- most coach firings you don't see like a publicly drawn out investigation for the whole year that everyone gets to see, you know. It's just kind of the club expresses their support for the coach until the end of the season when they fire them. And even if there's been even if they've known they're gonna be firing them for months, they allowed that coach to have public support so he can at least get through this season before ultimately letting him go. And I think that they failed to do justice to Dave T because at the end of the day, you know, he's a human being and he doesn't deserve to be put on trial or publicly humiliated for not doing as good of a job as he could. And I think the issues of Carlton are certainly not all his fault. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, what they're talking about with applying pressure and winning the contest and consistently defending, yes, there's a coaching element to that, but there's also an effort component. And you can't coach effort at the end of the day. It, effort has to come from within. So I think that there's deeper issues than just David T. And I certainly don't expect Carlin to come back and suddenly be a top four contender just by changing coach because that's not the way this ever works.
0: Yeah, I agree. I do think with the list we have, there were higher expectations this year, definitely pushing finals. But that being said, I do think David Teague was set up to fail in a way with the lack of support around him. I mean, he was left with the same football department, same staff as Brendan Bolton. So swapping a coach as they've done time and time again can be a bit of a cop-out in my opinion. I think that just, like you said, it fuels that bad culture.
1: Mm, Exactly.
0: When times get tough, like so do coaches.
1: Good teams don't change their coaches, Kat, that's for sure. I know. So I, don't, <laughs> I don't think, you know, that we should ever expect that just changing a coach is going to change the culture at a club.
0: I know. it's um. Yeah, I do think he should have been given an opportunity to at least change and select the people around him. But, yeah, I just think it creates that atmosphere that, you know, the board or um, people higher up in the hierarchy at Carlton just don't support their people. Like how is a you know, how can a player trust mm like, and have this sense of belief when people are getting, leaving every six months. Mm. But there's enough of Carlton talk. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sick of it. I'm sure everyone else is sick of it. We do have an exciting uh, review of Round 23. We sure do. It was the wrap-up of the season. It was an interesting season. Um, But, yeah, what do you have to say on it, Mitch?
1: Well, um, look, I'm a a Hawthorne fan. (laughs) So Round 23 was certainly... An emotional weekend for me. First up, obviously Sean Burgoyne, who it should be noted, was obviously a Port Adelaide player for the first kind of two fifths of his career, I suppose, and won a flag with them in two thousand and four. He was actually the last active player to have played in a grand final before two thousand and seven. Wow. So now nowadays I think Joel Selwood is now uh, that that two thousand and seven John Katz team is the last team or last play or last team to have an active player. So, yeah, 407 games. He's only the fifth player in AFL history to reach the 400-game milestone and just a, just a remarkable career. I mean, he's certainly one of the all-time greats. And, you know, even later on in his career, as much as he was obviously on the back end of it, you know, he was always still a good player and there was never kind of sense that he was just hanging on by a thread. You know, I feel like he could have played on if he really wanted to. Mm. But I'm glad that he, he stepped away graciously and when he did, and you know when when he was brought into to Hawthorne in I think 2010, if memory serves me correct, you know the idea was that maybe he'd be there for two or three years because at that stage he'd already played 150 odd games, and it was kind of like you know he's he's probably at the later stage of his career, certainly on the back end of his career by that stage, and he's gone out and played another 11 years, another 250 games, which is just wow. really remarkable and such a great achievement. And the other individual who departed Hawthorne was a fellow by the name of Alistair Clarkson. Now Clarko has been Hawthorne's coach for seventeen years. Won four premierships, really brought the club a club that was on the brink of merging, of on destruction, of financial ruin, and brought it to prosperity, at least for a number of years there. We were we won four flags, three in a row, had a host of Terrific players come and go from our club, all under Clarko's stewardship. And as disappointing as it was to see him leave in such auspicious circumstances, you know, with the whole Sam Mitchell program that they were trying to run there, which I just didn't support at all. That shouldn't take away from what a remarkable career he's had. And I think we should all just look back and think about what an incredible coach he is and you know, what he's achieved as as a coach uh, over his 17 years in the brown and gold. But, Kat, there were a couple of other players who also hung up the boots and actually played against Hawthorne or were whose teams were playing against Hawthorne in that last match. you want to talk us through that one?
0: Yeah. So, firstly, it was a Hawthorne-Richmond game, a draw, which is quite... Remarkable. Remarkable, yeah. Um, quite fitting for the situation, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You have those both teams who have experienced such success in the modern era. So we had Clarko obviously leaving. Then we had Basha who unfortunately didn't get to play his final game out. Interesting that he made comments. um, I believe it was like a week before he announced his retirement.
1: He said he wasn't going to (laughs) retire.
0: So there's obviously some... Been
1: a change of heart somewhere along the road.
0: Yeah, which is a bit sad to see. Dave Asprey as well, departing the game. So, yeah, I've got some greats there leaving, which is unfortunate. But moving on, we did have the Dogs versus Port Adelaide game. That was a bit of a thriller there, a late comeback as the Dogs led the whole game. Another exciting one, which I'm sure everyone's still thinking of, especially Geelong supporters, I imagine, Geelong versus Melbourne. So it was 81 Melbourne's way, played at GMHBA actually, and... Max Gorn after the final siren. So to wrap it up, Geelong actually led by 44 points halfway through the third quarter for then Melbourne to kick six goals in a row to none in the final quarter. So pretty remarkable effort from Melbourne. They've claimed their first minor premiership since um, 1964, which was the last time they actually won the premiership. So it could be interesting to see if history repeats itself. But yeah. You have to say, did you end up watching it?
1: I did watch it, and I certainly watched um, Maxi Gorn kick what well, was a pretty straightforward goal, but <laughs> it was pretty, it's pretty a remarkable comeback. And, you know, I just think that um, it bodes well for Melbourne's um, prospects in this final series, you know, to be able to come back against another top four side and, you know, not be, I guess, overwhelmed by the occasion, overwhelmed by the stage, overwhelmed by the moment, to then come through with a pretty remarkable comeback says a lot about their, them as a team. Absolutely. And, yeah, so I, I think that it puts them in really good stead for a, a pretty strong finals campaign.
0: Absolutely, and it's exactly what you want your captain to do yeah. in times of stress. Moving on again, back to retirements, we had the iconic Eddie Betts hang up the boots, on his 350th game. It was pretty emotional. I did want to mention, which I don't think has been highlighted too much, but I thought it was quite classy from the Giants. They presented Eddie with a gift. It was like a wine and their Indigenous Guernsey, which they actually wore in honour of him on his last game. So I was a big fan of that. And I think despite the pretty woeful effort from Blues... (laughs) Um, It was a half average way to send him off
1: (laughs) Certainly wasn't a Hawthorne versus (laughs) Richmond way To send a a club legend off But we should also probably jump into a finals preview Because obviously, you know, the real season started Essentially the finals Which is what we're all waiting for Kat, do you want to take us through a couple of games That we've got coming up?
0: Yeah, so first up, Friday night Blockbuster, we've got Port versus Geelong at Adelaide Oval. So I don't know about you, but I'm pretty intrigued about this one. I know Fantasia is expected to return, um, Georgiades has a chance, despite him expecting to miss a couple weeks off with his hamstring. Typically, I would say Geelong would take this one out, but You never know with Geelong in a final. I don't know. (laughs) Early on, they do like to make it difficult for themselves. That being said, we have um, Mitch Duncan returning, but then Zach Tui out. So what do you have to say about that?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I I think it will be an interesting contest. And, you know, as you said, Geelong aren't the most reliable team in finals, Mm. but they certainly have experience on their side in terms of experience playing in finals. So I think that that will put them in good shape and I certainly wouldn't Pick against them this week. We'll say that. Absolutely. Moving on to the Sydney derby, <laughs> Sydney Swans versus Grey Western Sydney Giants, being played in Tasmania, as you would expect. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so we do have a couple of potential outs. Uh, Callum Mills could be out due to an Achilles injury. He was, which he suffered late round twenty-three against Gold Coast. And Josh Kennedy, also a potential out for that match, which could be pretty significant. But I think the big story around Sydney in this finals is Buddy Franklin. I mean, he's sitting on currently 992 goals. If he manages to reach 1,000 goals in this finals, which is maybe unlikely. I mean, we'll see We'll see what happens in terms of this week. But he'd probably need to play at least two matches for them to, for, to have a real shot at it. But to kick a thousand goals in the modern era of footy where key forwards don't kick the same number of goals that they used to. You know, nowadays it's considered a good effort to kick four or five in a match. Whereas, you know, back in the day, Plugger was kicking <laughs> nine or ten goals almost weekly. Yeah. So I think it'll be pretty pretty incredible for him to achieve that. And we'll see whether he can do it uh this year, whether he has to wait until next season. Kat, do you have do you have anything to say about that?
0: I'm just super excited. I've always been a fan of Buddy. I did see that they're putting extra security on in case people decide that they have the right to run onto the field. (laughs) But um, I completely agree with you. The game has changed so much being so defensively structured that sometimes you look at old legends and you think, would you be able to kind of stand out in a game like it is today?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, would Plugger, who was obviously very much a full forward and kind of made his living in, in the uh, in the goal square and leading out from the goal square, didn't really move up the ground very much, would he be able to compete with a Buddy Franklin in terms of Buddy's obviously a tremendously versatile player who can move up the ground and play in the midfield? Or even like a Matthew Richardson was kind of the pioneer of that, you know, played on the wing in the later part of his career. So I think it is interesting, you know, goal... Like, the big key forwards don't get the recognition nowadays because they don't kick the same number of goals that they used to. But that's almost because they've taken on a a greater role in terms of playing more up the ground and being more involved in the transition towards the forward line. Uh, We do have a couple of other games to get through as well, just moving off of Buddy. Uh, Melbourne and the Brisbane Lions are playing Saturday night at Adelaide Oval. Uh, What what did you have to say about that?
0: Yeah, so as you said, Saturday night, I think it's... Going to be interesting, obviously minor premiers. I don't think minor premiers typically win a premiership, but as we said, Melbourne managed to do it in the 1964 premiership. So we'll see how that goes. I personally, I have no idea about this game, to be honest. I think lines have been good. Last year they really pushed for it and they seem to fire up. We've got Mitch Robinson likely to return, Harris Andrews.
1: He's always a factor, Mitch Robinson that is.
0: He's super fiery, brings so much energy to the team. Yeah. Yeah. I think Dees will be looking for Trent Rivers to step up, solidify and hopefully elevate his reputation. It'd be interesting. We've got a really packed midfield. So Hmm. it's going to be a good match to watch, I think. Um, In Adelaide as well, to even it out. No home advantage. I think it's going to be super interesting to watch. What are your thoughts on this one?
1: Yeah, again, like you said, it'll be a very interesting matchup. And I think the D's, like I said earlier, proved their their metal and their capabilities against Geelong in round 23. So I expect them to continue that this week. And I think that they will pull out the win. That's my pick for this one. I think that they're certainly in... In good stead. I'm making. I'm making a prediction here, Kat. Yeah, uh, the D's are going to come out winners, but we'll, we'll see how we go. I'm, I'm not very good at picking.
0: To be fair, the D's do well against top eight sides. I think their first loss was like to Adelaide. They had a weird, weird season, but in comparison to the Dogs, for example, they seem to maintain some form of consistency and success, which is super exciting for a team who's. Obviously, um, experienced such a drought. Mm-hmm. So with that being said, uh, Sunday match will be Dogs versus the Bombers. So interesting matchup with the Dogs pushed out of the top four. How do you think this one's going to go down?
1: <laughs> well, um, I know I just made a prediction, but I'm not sure how this one's going to play out, unfortunately. I think <laughs> it really is going to depend on some availabilities. So. The big one is obviously Anthony McDonald, Tip and Woody, who is a bit, of a bit of a spark for Essendon down in the forward line. It's unclear whether he'll be available for selection this week. I mean, we would presume that if he was available, he would play. But we don't know at this stage. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. And I think that that could certainly be a factor in what I think will, at the end of the day, be a close a close affair between these two sides. But we do have a couple of exciting ins as well. Jai Caldwell and Kyle Langford will will be playing. Uh, for the Bombers, and Kat, do you have anything to say about that?
0: Um, it's just super exciting for them. I think I've really enjoyed watching Essendon this year. I mean, I know at least I was talking a bit of rubbish in the preseason,
1: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: players that departed. you to have
1: to delete those tweets, Kat.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I just think they didn't look too flash in the preseason. They looked like they had a culture issue, to be honest. But it just proves what a good trade and draft period can do for you. Mm -hmm. They've been great this year, I think. Definitely a really good story to come out of the season and something that even if they don't do well in finals, one, it was good to make the top eight. But beyond this season, I'll be really excited to see what they do.
1: For sure. And, well, I think that pretty much concludes our our wrap-up of, or I guess preview, to the finals this weekend. And with that, that also probably concludes this episode. Thank you very much for coming along for the ride guys we're very excited to bring you the finals from our perspective the way we see it i'm sure there'll be lots of big news to talk about next week after we've seen these sides go at it on the big stage so thank you very much for tuning in and we'll see you next time take care
0: thanks guys